Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and Lord. Testing one, two, three. It was on a minute ago. It's on. This one's on. I've been trying to think of what to do, and I said, you know, we're just going to try to get started uh, on our study of the book of Revelation, and uh, I've been waiting for one of those time periods where I have just lots of time to sit in the office and work over it. And, well, that's a joke, yes. Uh, and so, oh, one other thing to pray for is I have a new baptistry heater about 40% fabricated. And uh, I got looking into what it would cost for us to actually buy one of those things and said, I think we'll just make our own. So just pray. Uh, I've got to make sure it doesn't leak and then we can hook it up. You don't want water and electricity mixing. It's kind of a little rough. But... Um, but uh, I, I talked to one of the techies at a company that we buy a lot of stuff from, and he says, it's going to take 43 kilowatts. That's 43,000 watts. Something else. And, and so I said, I think you've answered most of my questions. We'll just do it ourselves. Amen. And so uh, if you wouldn't mind just praying for a little wisdom there, trying to put something together that will, will actually work. The guys at the plumbing shop are... Yeah, bring it in and show it to us. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. All right, Revelation chapter 1. And uh, one of the things that we need to do as we prepare to go through the book of Revelation verse by verse, we've, we've kind of gone on a timeline from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We did that several weeks ago. And uh, we've tried to look at... Uh, several other things here, uh, dispensationally and others. And what we want to do, what I want to do tonight is kind of just give an overview. Uh, this is a, uh, uh, you can tell that this outline was done personally here. Uh, it's not very fancy, but it kind of will help us keep things in, in somewhat of a sequence. And let's just read the first three verses here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now, oftentimes as we approach the book of Revelation, all of a sudden everybody starts getting, ooh, what's going to happen? And you can't understand. There are things in the book of Revelation that God does want us to understand. He says so right here in these first three verses this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to John. John is giving it to us. 
And it says that there is a blessing for reading, for hearing, for keeping the things that are written herein. God wants us to understand certain things. But let me tell you, there are also certain things God does not want us to understand. And tonight we're going to kind of try to set some of the rules up as we begin studying the book of Revelation. And one of those, the rule that, that we follow when we study the Bible and the rule that you will want to follow as you study the scriptures is you must stick with a word-for-word understanding of what the Bible says. You see, if the Bible is speaking figuratively and in pictures and in types, guess what? It's going to tell you that it's speaking figuratively. It's going to be rather obvious uh, when we get down to chapter 12 and... and, uh, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, could that be talking about a physical, earthly woman who appears in the middle of heaven in this way? No, it is a wonder. The Bible is telling us this is something special. And, of course, as we read... And try to understand this woman, as far as we can understand, is the nation of Israel. Twelve crowns, twelve tribes. We have the, later on, she is going to give birth to that child who is going to rule the world. I was talking just briefly this afternoon with a fellow that I have seen Uh, ever since we have been in a story. I said, I haven't seen you in a long time. He says, what are you accusing me of? Is that my fault or yours? And I said, not an accusation, just statement of fact. And and then it started to rain, and he said, you're making it rain. You brought an umbrella. (laughs) I said, no, I just looked up in the sky and figured out what was going to happen, and I came prepared. We'll see you later. You're getting wet. I'm not. Amen? But... uh, he was speaking about, oh, yeah, you're in, the, you're in the old synagogue. I said, yeah. He said, have you ever changed the windows? And I gave him one of those looks. He says, all right, yeah, too expensive. I said, yeah, that's right. I said, by the way, Jesus was Jewish. We really don't have a problem. The Bible's one book. And he starts, well, we'll discuss that later. And just, Jesus is a Jewish man, humanly speaking. He is the creator God. He is both, amen? And as we try to understand the things of the Bible, the key is keeping our eyes on the words that are printed on the pages. And and that's what we're going to do, and, and that's why we have a chronology here And I got looking through here and I was trying to put all the chapters on there and I forgot Revelation chapter 20. It's not on there. I'll tell you where to write it in later. And um, I'm going to have to talk to my typist. The only problem is I'm my typist. So Um, we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 1. 
understand that John was a living man. This revelation was given to John somewhere around 100 A.D. So parts of this book are talking about things that actually transpired 1,900 years ago. And there were, in 100 A.D., seven literal churches in seven literal cities in what the Bible calls Asia, what you and I today would call Turkey. It's the same landmass, and if you uh, ever have a chance to go visit that way, I've heard it's not very much more expensive to stop at the city of Ephesus, and you can see the amphitheater theater where they rioted and Paul was kept out of the amphitheater by the people that were there and you can walk through the different streets of of Smyrna and Laodicea and and these cities that were there there were real churches in these cities now uh, I hope you don't mind me just touching on a few things we're going to touch on the first part of this history is what we call the church age That began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and has proceeded and will proceed until this event we call the rapture. We do not know when the rapture will occur. It could happen before we finish our service tonight. Now, many people have gone into chapters 2 and 3 and tried to make the churches a chronology of churches saying we have the Ephesian age and we have the uh, uh, culminating here in the Laodicean age, which is the lukewarm church. And that's why we can't serve God today the way we used to, because we're in the lukewarm church age. Now, that really works out well if you want an excuse. But there is nowhere in the Bible that says these churches are ages. And one of the reasons we can know that that kind of understanding of the scripture, it does not work, is because if I I were to bring before you five different commentaries by five different men who believe that, each one of them would have a different set of dates. If the Bible really says something, it is plain enough for us to see and to understand. It's not going to be a pick and choose of trying to figure out which one agrees with me. And by the way, let me ask you, are there churches today that have left their first love? Oh my, yes. Uh, Is Jezebel alive and well? And I'm not talking about certain political figures. Uh, I'm talking about a teacher in churches, not in false churches, in the true churches. Yeah, let me tell you, Jezebel is alive and well. The spirits that are there. Are there dead churches today? Are there churches where God, uh, under persecution today? Are there lukewarm, God-sickening churches around today? <laughs> but can we use that as an excuse not to be faithful at Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Absolutely not. Now, this is just one of the reasons why we reject this understanding of scriptures because there is no true understanding of scripture that is going to give you an excuse 
to be less of a servant of Christ than you ought to be. Silence. How about an amen on that? If you're understanding your scriptures in such a way that gives you a reason to back off on being obedient to the Bible, let me promise you that kind of understanding on the Bible is incorrect, is unbiblical. God does not want uh, what we might call half-throttle Christians. He does not want us serving him saying, this is the last days, the day of compromise, the lukewarm church. We can only accomplish so much. And I'll tell you, when we get to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, this is the verse, part of it's printed on our doors now out there. This is where we got the name for the Open Door Bible Baptist Church is because Jesus said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. Now, what's the reason there? For thou hast a little strength. I've read commentaries. They say this is the church in revival. Uh, Excuse me, when a church is in revival, it is not a church of little strength. It is a church of great strength. In fact, there was a time in this country where the Bible-believing churches and, and some others with them actually stopped the liquor trade in the United States of America. You could not legally buy a beer in the United States. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? You know, I I wonder if, if those laws had stayed in effect, if we'd be worrying about crack today. Just, just something to think about. But you see, the excuse is we need the tax money, right? Well, I think somebody did the math and the damage and the harm that alcohol and gambling and all of these things caused to society are much higher than any taxes you could collect from them. Let's not make excuses. Let's just serve the let's just serve God according to his word. Amen. Now, this church age is where we live today. We need to read and by God's grace we're going to go through these letters to these seven churches word for word phrase for phrase and I want us to take warning because I have seen even in my short ministry I have seen churches change from a church that was empowered and obedient to Jesus Christ to a church that Jesus says thou hast a testimony that thou livest and art dead. I've seen that happen. I've seen churches that once preached the power of God and have actually invited Jezebel into the church to teach. You see, now who is Jezebel? Well, Jezebel is a picture of an evil woman. Don't get any worse than Jezebel. You know what? When you let false churches come into your church, and we have, quote, unquote, uh, I'll just quote one of them. There's a fellow named Jerry Falwell. He's with the Lord. He knows better now. Said the Pope was one of the finest Christians he ever met. 
Let me tell you, when you make a statement like that, you're inviting the woman to come into your church. You're giving credibility to the evil woman. These things are going on. And you know what? It's going to be more and more difficult. I was talking with a preacher, and he, he was uh, making phone calls for Heartland, and he said, Brother, if you still believe the King James Bible and you don't use rock music and you believe you ought to live separate from the Lord, he said, you're a strange duck today. I said, yeah, but that's where we ought to be. And he said, that's where I still am after 36 years of ministry. I said, praise the Lord, brother. And he said, now you've only got 18 more years to go to catch up. And so we'll see what happens. But I'll tell you what, by God's grace, we'll be preaching the same message 18 years from now that we are tonight. But only if we take the warnings that Jesus gives to his church. His church is, I should say. Now, as we move through, we come up to 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and it tells us that the man of sin cannot be revealed until he is taken out of the way, until the church is removed. If the Antichrist showed up today, every Bible-believing Christian that lives today is going to open up their Bible and say he's the fake one. How is the world going to believe that the Antichrist is the truth if all of us are still around pointing our fingers at him? Well, Jesus is going to make it easy. He's going to remove his church. This is the trigger. God's prophetic time clock has stopped. It stopped ticking the day Jesus rode the donkey through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. That was the last seconds of the 69th week of Daniel. That clock has not moved since then. The man of sin will be revealed. There will be a peace treaty signed between the beast and the nation of Israel. Now, if you've ever watched one of those silly movies, I, I never will forget my wife and I just laughed and laughed and laughed because they said, he signed a peace treaty for seven years. Why not six years? Why not five years? Why seven years? It doesn't say that anywhere in the scriptures. Who signs a peace treaty with a time limit on it? In fact, if you signed a peace treaty with a time limit on it, would it be a peace treaty, my friend? We're going to declare peace for the next 48 hours. Now, the only one I ever knew was dumb enough to believe that was Lyndon Johnson. And that's why we lost the Vietnam War. Because it was not a peace treaty, it was a rearmament treaty. You guys stay in your foxhole while we ship in some more weapons from communist China so we can kill more Americans. That's what happened. Study the history. This person called the beast is going to offer what has been sought by every 
political leader in modern history. Peace in the Middle East. Now, how in the world is he going to bring peace in the Middle East with the Muslims and with the Jews there? How is that going to happen? Well, let me tell you something. God knows we don't. But let me give you a few clues. The Islamic world is expecting whom? The 12th Imam. The last Imam. He is going to come and he's going to make everything right. Hey, let me tell you something that describes the man the Bible calls the beast pretty well. So maybe, by, by the way, we have people here in the United States. Does anybody remember the last political campaign? We just want you to take care of us, Mr. President. That mentality is the mentality that is going to allow this person called the beast or the Antichrist to rise to ascendancy. People are taking less and less personal responsibility and the government is taking more and more responsibility. Um, I think it was Brother Newberger said, uh, told Stephen, didn't he tell you about Barbara Mikulski when people mess up, the government has to step in. That is the mentality that is there today. And by the way, it's here today, is it not? Everybody wants to be told what to do in all of these movies about mind control. I don't think that they're true. I don't think they're going to have to put drugs in the water to control people's minds. There is a vast majority of our population here in America that wants somebody to control them. Isn't that true? Listen, the Antichrist is going to begin his reign with the peace treaty by bringing peace to the Middle East. Jimmy Carter thought he was going to do it. By the way, where did Napoleon go before he was finished? He stood in what is now the land of Israel and looked over the valley of Megiddo, which in the Bible was called Armageddon and said it is the most perfect battlefield on the face of the earth. He thought he would bring peace to the Middle East. Didn't work. The Nazis were there in the Middle East during World War II. Didn't work. Islam thinks they're going to create peace in the Middle East by murdering all the Jews. Well, I read this book. They're not going to get that done. Amen? And I'm happy about that. But this is what begins the trigger of what's going to happen in Revelation chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, chapters 4 and 5. We have the beginning of the tribulation period. We have 
this little time here, the Revelation 4 and 5 is our peak, looking through the peephole of prophecy into heaven. We get to see just a little bit. Now, I'll tell you what you see. You see the throne of God. You see God being glorified, God being worshipped. If you want to know what heaven's going to be about, it's going to be about God. It's going to be about Him being glorified. It's going to be about Him being worshipped. I'll tell you one of the reasons I believe the Bible does not speak expressly of a lot of detail of when we get to heaven is because us in our unglorified bodies, in our uh, feeble uh, human natures, and our sin natures that fight within us, we'd say, man, that's going to be a boring place. I don't understand that. You know, I've heard people talking about, oh, Brother Clayton talks about rafting down the river of life and a few of those things, and, uh, and I know what he's talking about, but we're not going to have any time for things like that, I don't believe. Because once we see the throne, I don't think we're going to want to go anywhere else. We're not going to want to talk to anybody else. We're going to want to work together to worship him that sits on the throne. By the way, they won't be strumming a rock guitar and swaying back and forth in a miniskirt up in heaven, let me tell you. And it's not just going to be obnoxious shouting and ridiculous things. It is going to be worship and it's not going to be stodgy old church stuff that nobody can stand. It is going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. The half, when we talk about heaven, the tenth has never been told. It is going to be an amazing time. And while we as redeemed Christians are going to get our first taste of what heaven is going to be like. We have John seeing in chapter 5 the book in the hand of the Father that no one can open. Now that book, we will find out, contains the judgment of Almighty God stored up from the foundation of the universe. If you will try to follow this out and make the connections, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane talked about a cup. A cup he didn't want to drink. A cup that if it could be possible to pass from him, he asked that it would, but nevertheless he surrendered to the will of the Father. That cup contained the wrath of Almighty God. We read in the Psalms and in other places that the dregs of that cup are going to be wrung out and that the kings of this earth are going to drink them and spew and be destroyed. And there's a direct connection between the seals of the prophecy of this book and the dregs of that cup of God's judgment which will be poured out without mercy upon an earth that has wholly rejected him. Now stop and think about how horrible things are on earth today. Could you imagine 
if every Bible-believing Christian was gone, there would be no restraint whatsoever. Then we have this man coming on the, the scene, the Antichrist, and he begins, and this seven years divided up into two time periods of 1260 days, God's got it numbered there, and someone may, may be uh, ahead of me a little bit here and say, well, 1260 days doesn't work out to be three and a half years, and it doesn't if you use a 365 and one quarter day year calendar. But if we use the Jewish calendar, it only had 360 days in it. You say, well, how did God keep time if those five and one quarter days were missing? Well, it was very simple. Every 49 years, God added an entire month to his calendar without changing the year in the year of Jubilee. So that month, that year, the 50th year, you had 13 months to the year. Now, it works out pretty accurate. And wouldn't that be cool every once in a while just to have a whole month? And, of course, the year of Jubilee was the year of release. It was the year you got your properties back. It was the year that if you were working as an indentured servant, that you were set free. It was the year that... Everything happened. It was a year of celebration. There was no planting. There was no harvest. There was no physical labor. You lived that year off of the excess of the years before. I mean, every once in a while, I, I, I think, you know, we have missionaries coming in. In fact, I forgot to announce it Sunday night, Brother Ovid, if you'll remember him. He works in church planning. I finally got a phone call from him. He said, Brother Montoro, I can come visit you sometime. I said, that'd be good. We haven't seen you in a long, long time. He said, do you need any help with your baptistry project? I said, you're a little late, brother. I said, but we'll have you come anyway. Amen. But um, uh, the now I forgot where I was going with that, but He's going to come in. He's going to report to us. Oh, yes. Uh, I remember now. Is um, Many missionaries get a year of furlough every four years. Sometimes as a pastor, I've wondered about that. That'd be pretty cool. But um, we have someone in the... Okay. And uh, so... But this 49th year was a year of release, was a year of all these things. God kept his calendar, and the calendar that is used in the Bible is the Jewish calendar of 360 years, uh, 360 days. As these seals are released, you'll read in Genesis chapter 6 through 8, the first six seals. The seventh seal is open, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but it comes about the best we can understand about the midpoint of the tribulation period. Now, there's a lot of things that are connected with this midpoint. 
Somewhere around that midpoint is the battle of Gog and Magog where the Russian armies will sweep down out of the north through Syria and try to take over or try to destroy the land of Israel. The Bible tells us that five-sixths of their army will be destroyed in what we call the Golan Heights as you come down right over the border there. And it gives some instruction. It says they're going to be seven years burning the weaponry. That they're going to be seeking for the, the bones of the dead people up into the millennial kingdom. And there's going to be a valley there called the Valley of Gog where his army is going to be buried. And it is going, you're going to smell that area before you get there because of how many dead people are buried in it. There's going to be a great earthquake in the middle of the tribulation period. It says every mountain is going to be moved. Every island of the sea is going to be broken off its foundation. Now we just had one earthquake and one tsunami can you imagine what will happen when all the Hawaiian islands move off of their foundation? When the continent of Australia, which is an island, moves. The cataclysm is going to be beyond measure. Somewhere about this middle period, all of this catastrophe, this person that has promised peace is going to initiate a worship of his person. He's also going to institute what we call the mark of the beast. Now, if you've heard about that, uh, every once in a while I get an article and say, you know, they're implanting chips in cats. The mark of the beast. No, you cannot, an animal cannot receive the mark of the beast. Uh, just because they want to put a computer chip in a person is not the mark of the beast. In fact, the mark of the beast does not even have to be a computer chip. And we don't know what it is other than it's going to be a public identification of worship to this man and his image the one the Bible calls the beast or the Antichrist. You won't be able to buy a loaf of bread anywhere on the face of the earth. You won't be able to get a gallon of gasoline anywhere on the face of the earth without approval from this man and his government. That is all going to happen about the midpoint that's when everything that has been known to mankind is going to come unhinged. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. That seventh seal opens and we have seven trumpets begin to sound. The last three of those trumpets are the woes. And the last of those woes is the seven vials filled with the, the summation of God's wrath. And he's going to pour those out. If we read Daniel's prophecy, there's two periods of 30 days and 45 days that are mentioned in Daniel chapter 12, right at the end of the tribulation period and how they all fit in there. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to tell you, but 
It says that they're there, and so they're going to be there. The battle of Armageddon is going to be the end of the tribulation period. That is going to be when the armies of this world, whatever's left of them, is going to unite against the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who is going to come back from heaven. And the armies of heaven are going to follow him. But the way Jesus fights, and by the way, this is an application uh, when you're talking about spiritual warfare, Jesus brings the armies of heavens behind him. But who does the fighting? Jesus does with the sword that goes out of his mouth. By the way, that would be the spoken word of God. So if you want to do spiritual battle, use this book. If you don't go quoting the Bible to the devil, that's not what we're talking about. You quote the Bible to yourself and get hid behind the Savior and let him do the fighting and you'll be safe. Because that's what Jesus does at the Battle of Armageddon. That's where the blood is going to flow five feet deep, 120 miles up the Jordan Valley. Tell you what, my mind can't comprehend that type of destruction of human flesh. But it's going to happen. And it is not beyond our measure to comprehend an army that large, number one, and the destruction of an army that large, number two. Satan will be bound and put in the pit and we will enter what we call the thousand year rule and reign. This is where Genesis, I mean, Revelation chapter 20 is. Revelations chapters 12 through 14, they give us kind of a break and introduce us to the characters. Actually, 13 ought to be included in, yeah, it's there, 12, 13. We're introduced to Israel. We're introduced to the beast. We're introduced to what is going to happen and those events there center again right at the hinge between the first half and the second half, the two witnesses that are talked about. And and I've heard half a dozen sermons in my life on the identity of the two witnesses. Let me promise you that's one thing we will not do because we're not worried about the identity of the two witnesses there from the middle to the end of the tribulation period. I'm not going to be here. I don't need to know who they are. I need to prepare to serve the Lord until he comes back. Then we get into the millennial kingdom a thousand years without the devil. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the lion lying down beside the lamb. And I'm going to have one of those things in whatever house the Lord allows me to have. Uh, I'm going to stop by and pet every one of them great big lions. I just want to see what that woolly mane feels like without having to put my life in danger. Amen? Uh, I, I look forward to that. But at the end of the thousand years, Revelation chapter 20, now a lot of people, they do not believe in the millennial kingdom. They believe in, there's amillennialists, no millennial kingdom. There's postmillennialists who believe that We're going to get everything set up perfect on earth and Jesus is going to come and sit on the throne. 
Not too many people that stupid left anymore, but before World War I, that was really big stuff because they had just gotten rid of slavery. They'd solved the biggest civil problem, social problem in the United States, and they were going to build the perfect society. How many of you wish you could go back to 1900 and, and live like they did then? It's gotten a lot worse now, hasn't it? And it's going to continue to get worse. We believe in the pre-tribulational return of Jesus Christ, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus himself is going to sit on that throne. Why do we believe that? Because we believe what the Bible says. There are several verses that says he shall rule and reign for a thousand years. We're going to rule and reign with him. Chapter 1. If there is no kingdom, what, then what in the world are this reference, these references talking about? The devil's going to be loosed. The armies of the world are going to compass the new Jerusalem which will have descended out of heaven and hover over the earth during the millennial kingdom, the best we can understand. Then will come the great white throne. This is where all the unsaved will be judged. You say, where are the Christians judged? The best we can tell, that's, Gen that's Revelation 4 and 5. That's during the tribulation period when that happens. And then we will enter a period of which we know absolutely nothing about. We call it eternity future. Now, I like Mr. Larkin's books. They're some of the best books written, but Mr. Larkin goes a little nuts when he talks about eternity future. He talks about God putting people on planets all throughout the universe and all of them being inhabited and and I'm sitting here going, uh, don't think so, not unless God does something really different. Um, and by the way, even with the population of the earth, six billion people, we could still fit the entire population of the world inside the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. Don't believe this overpopulation stuff. The only reason people go hungry is because the evil work of other people. There is no need. The earth could support three times our population that we have. It's funny, these professors, they're talking about, we need to get rid of two-thirds of the world's population. Well, you read the book of Revelation, God's going to come pretty close. But I don't know anybody that's wanting to get online to go today. Eternity future is going to be a time where we will be with the God of this book. We will be one with him. We will enjoy knowing what God wants us to know and living and serving and worshiping him for all eternity. Don't allow people to invent new weird things to get your attention. Just stick with what the Bible says. That's what we're going to try to do. And you say, Pastor, that's so boring. Well, you better get used to it. Because let me tell you what's going to happen when we get to heaven. God's got a book. 
And he's going to get it out when we get there. And he's going to explain things to us. So if we don't want to learn about it here, you're, you're not going to want to learn about it there. I, I want to learn about it here so I can be ready to be with him there. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we just go through these facts and figures and timelines, I pray that you, you would help us understand and put some things together that we may rightly divide your word, that we may rightly understand that there are certain things that uh, you have kept for different groups of people. And Lord, we pray that we would never allow someone's understanding of the scripture to hinder us from serving you today where we live. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us and that you would bless us as we begin this study of the book of Revelation. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, before we say amen, we'll just have a verse of invitation. If the Lord has burdened your heart about anything, if you need to just come and pray, the altar's open. And we'll be dismissed in just a few moments.